So first he begins this section uh, about our daily attitude. Let me read it with me, if you would, starting in verse 2. Verse 1, we kind of talked about really belonged with the last section. And he says, I entreat or I plead with Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So let's just stop right there. He starts this, this section by basically saying there, there are two women. He said their names are in the book of life. They are Christians. Not only are they Christians, but they worked with him, probably involved in church planting that he was doing. And they, they labored side by side with him and these other brothers and sisters for the cause of the gospel. And yet, he says, plead with them to agree in the Lord. Basically, there's some kind of conflict going on there. But these are godly women, very involved in ministry. And I think this is a really important that we see. This is, is part of life. Conflict is inevitable, even for godly people. I think sometimes there's this feeling, oh, if I'm really a godly person, I'll be able to avoid all conflict. Fat chance. And Paul tells it like it is here. It says, no, that's not the case. These are godly women who were involved in planting churches with other godly people, but they're having a problem getting along. Anybody ever experienced that, have a problem getting along with another Christian? Well, Paul is telling you that's normal. What's interesting here is he says, yes, I ask you, true companion. So he asks somebody there... um, to help them out. And that's the reality is, is sometimes, even when we go to the other person, we try to work things out, we, we can't, and we need a third party to come in and help us. And Paul puts such a value on unity that he says, yeah, if you need to bring in another person, then, then do that and plead with them to work it out. Unity, as we've seen all throughout this book, is so important to Paul. Um, and so we see that even godly people have conflict. Sometimes we need others to help us resolve it. And then our initiative in resolving conflict is a mark of spiritual maturity. I would say any step of obedience in our life is a, is a mark of maturity whenever we obey God. And God commands us to work things out, to resolve conflict, to do everything we can to live at peace with all people. So if you think of your own life, how, how are you doing at taking initiative to resolve where there's conflicts? Because God, God's given us an example when there's conflict. When man turned from God and sinned and went his own way, what did God do? He said, oh, let them live. They made their bed, let them sleep in it. Let them live with their own choices. No, he sent his son and he pursued us. He took initiative to restore our relationship with him. And the Bible goes on to to show us that that's the model. That whether we're the one that's been offended or did the offending or everything in between, believers are to take initiative, just like Jesus did, to go and make things right. So how mature are you in this matter? And if not, I'd encourage you to be reading this passage and internalize these truths. 
because God is so concerned about unity. Then he goes on, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we find that eight times in this, these four chapters, Paul tells them to rejoice. And again, he's in prison. <laughs> and his message is rejoice. It just doesn't make any sense, really. And what's interesting here is, what has he just talked about? Two of these dear co-laborers, his dear friends, aren't, aren't able to get along. He's got plenty of reason to be discouraged and down, but what does he say? No, rejoice. He knows that God is sovereign. God is in control, and he, can, he will work that out for good as well. And so he tells them, rejoice. Regardless of your circumstances, the Coxes, the Lees, you guys are commanded to rejoice because God is at work. And yes, not to deny anyway. Paul tells the story warts and all. You're not supposed to tell your story and say, oh, everything's great. No, yeah, it's really tough. But we rejoice. We see God's hand at work. We see God's power, even through our trials. So rejoice over and over. Five uh, or eight times he says rejoice. Uh, I think six times he talks about joy. Christians' lives and joy should go together. Our lives are to be joyful, even though they are, have plenty of problems. Then he goes on, Let your gentleness or your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about attitudes here. There should be an attitude of desiring unity. We should have an attitude of joyfulness and rejoicing in our life. And here we're to have an attitude of gentleness and also an attitude of prayerfulness and thanksgiving. And what about your life? Are you seeing those in your life? in the midst of trouble. And he says, let your reasonableness, your gentleness, um, that word gentleness is, is difficult to translate, uh, the Greek word, because it, it's kind of, we don't have any one English word uh, that captures this, but um, this uh, lenience, uh, gentleness, reasonableness, all uh, convey some of that meaning. And then he talks about, and, and I think also as we look at, when, if we're not gentle, then we're harsh. And I think parents can often think about that. You think about when, when we've been too harsh with our kids. And generally, there, there are times when people, it's okay to be really stern, where there's something really serious we want to make sure, sure somebody gets. But most of the time when we're harsh, or not gentle, it's our flesh that's coming out, just our natural response of frustration, that it doesn't feel like God's in control. My child is still not getting this, this concept, uh, or they're still acting immaturely, or they're not uh, treating people with respect the way they want them to. Um, and so we get frustrated and we respond harshly to them, uh, because that's what our flesh feels. We've, we've 
We've stopped be believing that God's going to work this out, and instead we're going to take it into our hands and by being harsh, uh, try to solve the problem. We know that doesn't work. And the cure for it is getting our strength from Christ. Paul goes on. He says, the Lord is at hand. And that's right between these two things of being gentle and rejoicing and not being anxious. Uh, and I believe it, it applies to both of them, this idea. And earlier at the end of chapter 3, Paul talks about Christ's return and how his return should encourage us and give us hope and help us to stand firm. He says, because the Lord's going to return, stand firm. So the future should impact our now and the way we're living now. And again, uh, because he's just said that, it's pretty evident that what he's talking about is not just that the Lord's presence is with us, but he's referring to this idea of the Lord's return is soon. And because of that, we can be gentle. We can rejoice. We don't have to be anxious. We, we should be all of those things because he's coming and all those things are going to pale in significance when he comes. And we'll, we'll, we'll regret all of, all of our sin, all the ways where we just lived out of our flesh instead of living for him and by his strength. And in verse 6, he gives here the cure for anxiety. Okay, anybody here a worrier? Okay. Okay. A lot of us, we all so often worry about things. But the Bible gives a cure for it. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's clear, he says, don't worry about things. Instead, pray about them prayer and supplication, telling God what is going on. And then what else does he add? Anybody? He says, pray about it, and what else? What? Thanksgiving. Give thanks for it. And I think for many of us, I know in my life, this is one of the things that was often lacking. When I was anxious about something, many times I would pray to God about it. But... When I remember years ago, Helen and I were facing a, a problem that was really discouraging. And I'd read this verse, and I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll even give thanks. And I, I think it was one of the first times in my life where I gave thanks for a difficult situation, a situation I didn't see any answer to. And I remember it because I said, Lord, I prayed, told him this, Lord, you know this problem, you know what's going on, and it's, we're really discouraged, help us with this. And I said, and Lord, I thank you that, and then there was a long, long pause, because I couldn't think of anything to give thanks for. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why, who goes around being thankful for problems? And as I sat there i just couldn't come up with anything and then finally i realized lord thank you for this problem because it's causing helen and i to look to you for help and not to ourselves and it's drawing us closer than ever to you thank you lord it's making us realize there are things in life we can't control they're beyond us 
And Lord, thank you because this, this problem is really helping us see how badly we need you and that apart from you, we, we can't do anything. And that prayer, that prayer of thanksgiving really changed our perspectives, our, our attitude. So I would encourage you, the next time you face a problem, definitely tell God about it. He already knows about it, but he's like a father. When your child comes to you and you saw them fall down and get hurt, you still say, well, what happened? You just want to hear them tell it to you, and you want to be there. God's like that. He knows what's going on. He knows it all before it happens. But he loves that his children come to him and share it with him. But don't stop there. Then thank God for it. And I'm convinced you'll, you'll find that your attitude changes and your perspective on that issue. So don't just pray about it. Give thanks for it. And you'll see, what does God promise then? He says, if you do that, the peace of God which tr- surpasses all understanding, this supernatural peace from God, He gives us. And we began to experience that. We began to experience a, a kind of a deep-seated joy and a sense that everything was going to be okay. And it really made no sense because this was a seemingly unsolvable problem. And yet we were experiencing peace. And it's because it was God's peace. It, w- it was a supernatural. It was not a peace that came from within me. It came from God. And it's just what he promises here. What an incredible promise. And the beautiful thing is it's, it's, it happens. God does just what he promises here. And he helps our hearts and our minds. He protects them and gives them peace. Then from here, and so to review, we're to rejoice in all of our circumstances. Even Paul, you know, he's rejoicing here. These women are fighting. We're to be gentle, not harsh, knowing, again, the Lord's return, realizing the Lord's going to be back soon. And that realization impacts the way we live today. It impacts our gentleness, our prayerfulness, our thanksgiving. Okay, and regarding that, I want to play a song here. This is, I think, probably my wife's favorite song. Um, and I, I've, I love to play it because when we do, sometimes I've even seen her get up and dance to it, and that just brings joy to my heart to see that. And um, it's about <laughs> prayer. <laughs> so yeah, honey, if you want to get up and do a little jig, that's fine with all of us. We would really enjoy that. It's by Stephen Curtis Chapman. See if we can get this.
Amen. Yeah, this idea that any time is the right time and that our Father is listening with love. And I love this song too because, um, and I know my wife loves it because so often we think of prayer as a duty or an obligation. Okay, Lord, I'm, I know I need to pray every day, so I'm going to pray for these people. Um, but I believe our prayers should have this kind of joy in them, knowing that God is listening, He's waiting, He's wanting to answer them. He loves it when we come to Him. He wants us to be in a spirit of pray all the t- prayer all the time, shooting up prayers to Him, praising Him when things go right during our day, um, just constantly being in, in fellowship with Him, uh, that we need to pray, pray, pray. And Paul talks about it. He says the result of prayer and giving thanks to God is we, have, we get supernatural peace from it. So let's make that part of our life in that way. Then lastly, in this section, Paul says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if anything is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. And it says, if anything's true, honorable, just, commendable, he says, think about these things. I believe the NIV says, let your minds richly dwell on these things. So some people think Paul's talking about uh, um, positive thinking here. Oh, just say, oh, this is going to turn out great. You, you know, you can tell a train wreck's coming, but just say, oh, just believe it's going to turn out great. Um, what he is saying here is the commendable things, the excellent things in life, let our minds dwell richly on those. I think it's more of a meditation. And in our everyday life, Paul wants that, that our minds are constantly thinking about uh, the truth, about God's Word, about good that we see around us. The temptation so often is, in marriages, to talk with your spouse about, can you believe what that person said to me? Can you believe what they did? Oh my goodness, what are, people are just so stupid sometimes. What were they thinking? You know, this can be, it's very easy to, to find the people's weaknesses, isn't it? To, to find the things that they do that are, you can't figure out why, uh, all their peculiarities. But what takes God's supernatural power is to be able to spot the strengths in their lives, the really cool things that they do the way they reflect God in their life, and in our kids as well. Well, it's easy to criticize, but to spot the good, and that's what Paul's saying all around us. You see beauty in creation. Praise God for that. Let your mind dwell on that. You see someone who's got a beautiful servant heart. Let your mind dwell on that, the things that are great. And then lastly, he says, what you've received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Okay, so also he says, all the godly things you've seen in my life, emulate that. Find the godly people around you and the godly things in their life. Emulate that. And what again is the result? The peace of God will be with us. As we let our minds dwell on the great things and as we practice the things we see godly people doing around us. God brings peace in our life, a supernatural peace. 
And I believe we all want that, don't you? Don't you want a supernatural peace, God's peace in your life? How can we say no to that? So the future, this idea of the Lord's returning should impact the way we live today. Uh, in the end of Philippians, he talked about that. I mentioned that briefly. And then ways we get his peace, we just mentioned prayer and thanksgiving, getting our mind out of the gutter and getting it on the blessings and the good around us, and then following the leader, following Paul's example. I wanted just to mention here, uh, for some that would like to study this, Tom Wolfe, who spoke here about a year ago, he has a four-page article called The Universal Disciple. And it, when it talks about, Paul says, join us Join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern. And that word pattern can mean like an imprint, uh, a mold, that, a template that we gave you. And uh, in this article, Tom Wolfe talks about, uh, in looking at uh, Colossians, Ephesians, and Romans, that there were certain topics that Paul seemed to always talk about. And he, he thinks that those were this core pattern, this core template. So if you're interested in that, especially if you're discipling someone, you want to make sure that those core topics you're, you're, you're covering and that we're all strong on those. So I would encourage you, just Google that, The Universal Disciple by Tom Wolfe. Now we give, it go into this uh, next section about giving and God's provision. Paul talks about it as this matter of giving and receiving. And there's some amazing truths in this that, that have been very helpful in my life. Again, he starts by saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly at the length you have re- revived your concern for me. Now, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need or financial need here, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, obedience and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here, he repeats it twice. I have learned how to be content. I have learned the secret of it. And that secret, he goes on to say, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've heard that verse many times, but the original context is Paul says, how am I able to be content when I am in need? I, I, I don't, I, I'm in need of more of things more money, more food, whatever? And how am I able to live and be content when I have an abundance of things? He says, the way to do that only is through Christ's strength. Because being content is not something we're naturally good at as humans, is it? Whether we, you think, oh, if we have a lot, we'd be content. No, when we get a lot, we want a little bit more. I think it was Andrew Carnegie. Somebody asked him. He was one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. They said, how much money do you need to be happy? And he said, always just a little bit more. Yeah, we, don't, we humans don't do good with contentment. Okay, when we don't have enough, we want more. When we have a lot, we want more still. And Paul said this in Hebrews. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say, the Lord's my helper, I won't fear. What can man do to me? Um, Recently, I've started working for a company that trains leaders, um, mostly overseas, to be collaborative and to work with other agencies so that together they can better 
reach groups that haven't heard the gospel. And uh, we had a staff meeting, uh, one of the first ones, and they showed an email by one of the board of directors. And in it, he tells this story. On Monday, my house burned down. I helped build that house. I raised my kids in it. I put thousands of hours into constantly improving that home. We don't live there now. My sister and her family have been staying there, and ultimately, that is what this story is about. Diane and her husband, Sam, have spent the majority of their lives as missionaries in the Middle East and North Africa, and most recently in Ethiopia. They're in the U.S. now to get their youngest son through high school, but Sam has still been spending months at a time in Ethiopia trying to secure permission to bring their adopted daughter back to the States to live with them. They've been living in that house, and they lost everything in the fire. Every photo, every memory of the places they've lived. And worst of all, the pile of paperwork Sam has painstakingly been gathering with notarized signatures of Ethiopian and U.S. officials to cross all the T's and dot all the I's so they can bring their adopted daughter, Lederbron is her name, or her English name, Candy, to bring her home. Candy was living on the street, her father attempting to sell her into prostitution each night for a few drinks at the local bar. Her mother suffered from mental issues and later died from cholera. So Sam and Diane took her into their home, eventually securing permission from both parents to adopt her. But when they were getting ready to leave Ethiopia, the U.S. and Ethiopian officials refused permission to let her go with them. And so they made arrangements for her to live in a school in the capital, Addis Ababa, safely away from her father. Sam started making trips back to Ethiopia, trying to keep and secure the permissions they needed and checking in on Candy. After countless meetings, they finally secured all the documents, and next week they were scheduled to present everything to the legal authorities, whom they hope will finally grant them permission to bring her back to the U.S., But all those documents were in the house that is now gutted. I think of all the questions I ask God, the one I struggle with the most is, why? I'm not alone in this. Job, David, Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist. I hear the same agonizing wail coming from their lips when life doesn't make sense. He said, our current morning devotionals have been rather random, but the verses we were instructed to meditate on this morning were no accident. Philippians chapter 4. Like me, you've heard them a dozen times. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But today... Three words jumped out at me. Three words that Paul repeats twice just to make sure that I get it, which I haven't fully before. And those three words are, I have learned. This ability to live in constant joy, joy, unaffected by circumstances, isn't a gift, a personality trait, or an accident. Paul had to learn how to do it. He had to learn how to disconnect his sense of joy from his circumstances. He had to learn 
how to focus solely on the God who never changes, who is always good, whose empowering is endless, whose grace and mercy and love never fail. Clearly, I'm not there yet. And he goes on. And as I read this, I think Bo and Cindy, Steve and Annette, God is clearly wanting to teach you, you guys, in these difficulties. And our prayer, my prayer when I face difficulties, Lord, would you help me to, to learn to be content, to learn from this. Well, he goes on to share about his struggle to, to live that out. And then he ends by saying, oh, and P.S., the rest of the story. Well, at least another chapter. When you experience a miracle, you've got to share it. Remember the disaster of the lost paperwork? Yesterday, Sam and Diane were able to get inside the house for the first time to poke around a bit. As feared, the rooms were gutted. They walked into what used to be the dining room and found the table flipped upside down. They pushed it aside and discovered a stack of papers underneath, damp, singed on the edges, on the edges but protected from the worst and still legible. It was the adoption papers. Somehow they ended up on the floor in the dining room. The dining table flipped upside down and covered them from the worst of the flames and hundreds of gallons of water the firemen sprayed into that area. Those rooms were full of books, papers. Nothing survived except that one precious stack of paper. They are trying to carefully extricate and dry each of the pages, and we appreciate your prayers for that process that the authorities will give them grace for the damaged documents and that Candy will be allowed to finally come home. I wrote him the other day and he said he's gone back to Ethiopia. There were more, more struggles, more disappointments, but now it's just a matter they everything has been approved. They just have some outstanding um, fees that they have to pay and it will be completed. Normally they would have... He's... The work he was doing, he, he lost several jobs. He didn't have the income he normally had, so he's staying on and pressing on through these different ones, but he's saying he's learned, learning to trust God, being at work in all of our circumstances. And there on the far left is their daughter. This is a whole other story. Somehow they, when President Bush visited Ethiopia, they chose their family to give him a tour. <laughs> Uh, but God is good, even in the midst of our biggest difficulties. And then Paul says this. So he talked about learning to be content. Um, and then he talks about this, about their giving. He said, they were the first ones that gave him a gift. Um, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then verse 17 said, it's not that I'm seeking a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And this verse was very radical in my own life. Uh, years ago, I uh, spent a year teaching English um, in China. Then I came back and was working for a Christian agency in the U.S. And I had to raise support. But like many people, I'd never done it again. I thought, oh, but I'm, I don't want to be a beggar asking people for money. 
And through a book I read, the Lord gave me a very sound rebuke. And one of them was here, where Paul's attitude was that he knows God will meet his needs, but he's not asking them for it because of his needs. He realizes he's giving them an opportunity to be blessed. And that totally changed my mind. I realized there are people out there that really want to give, but they don't know someone personally. They don't know if they can trust certain organizations that they don't know that much about. But there's people they trust in. And when I asked them, oh, would you give? They said, oh, I've been waiting. I've been wanting to give. Thank you. And like Paul, I was giving them an opportunity to increase their credit in their heavenly bank account for all the good that they've done. And in NIV, it talks about, I'm not thinking of my need, but what can be credited to your account. And so for those that that's been a, a, a barrier for, the thought of going on a short-term trip or a long-term, that, oh, I don't want to be a beggar. No, Paul says, you're not a beggar, you're a blesser. You're giving people the opportunity to add to their account of blessings in heaven. And that needs to be our attitude. And then the second one for me was, I then read uh, the passage where it says a number of women went about taking care of the needs of Jesus and the disciples out of their own money. So Jesus could have just created money where he needed it. He could have gotten it many different ways. But he allowed these women to support them, to pay for their food to pay for their expenses. And I began to say, wow, Jesus didn't say, oh, I can't be a beggar. No, he, he realized he was giving them an opportunity to express their faith and receive blessing. So how could we, how dare us to say, oh, no, I could never let people support me by giving to me? Well, then that makes you different than Jesus because he was willing to do that. And Paul said, oh, you're thinking so selfishly. You should think of the blessings that would be going to that person. And then he ends this section on giving by talking about, he says, I have received full payment. In other words, the Philippians again had sent him money when he needed it, and he was so thankful to them, and he was telling them, Paul's so lavish in his thanks, and we need to learn from that. And I think that's one cool thing about our culture. Generally, in America, Americans are very thankful Remember, uh, Helen and her mom and I were on a, a trip in China. Her mom came out and her sister, and we got on a bus, and when we bought the ticket, we said, oh, thank you, which is really crazy. The Chinese people are like, why are you thanking me? You're giving me money. I should be thanking you, but you say thank you. And So they began referring to us. Uh, they said, oh, yeah, don't forget those four thank yous in the back. They just referred to us as thank yous, you know. <laughs> but I realized... And our culture puts a big emphasis on that, and it's because of our, our biblical background. And so Paul's always giving thanks. But then he says, I've received payment and more. I am well supplied and have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So when we give to, to God, when we give to others, not just financially, but when we give to others, think outside ourselves. We experience God's peace, but we experience his pleasure. It says it's pleasing to God. It's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. 
for you men, it's like when someone's got a steak on the grill and, oh, you get a whiff of that. You, oh, man, that's, that's good. That's how God feels about it when we are giving to others of our time and our talents. So, just like Paul, we should express lots of thanks for people's obedience. We need to learn contentment, times of prosperity and need. And he said the secret of contentment is that we get our strength from God. We can't just conjure it up from inside, try to work up a sense of contentment. No, it comes from our being connected to God and all of his riches that he so lavishes upon us. And the key to receiving from others is focusing on the blessing that they will get. Oh, we certainly give thanks for it, but we also thank God because we know he's going to reward He sees all that we do and rewards our generosity. And our generosity gives pleasure to God. And I missed the last verse, and then he says, and my God shall meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. He said, as you meet the needs of others, God promises he'll meet our needs. Wow, that's a deal, isn't it? You'll meet the needs of others, I'll make sure your needs get met. And God's pretty amazing when it comes to keeping promises. Then finally, he closes the letter in a standard way. But notice verse 22 here. In the middle of his greeting, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Why does he sneak that in there? Well, if you remember back to chapter 1, he says to them, the people, the Philippians, some of them are really discouraged. Paul's in prison. Man, his ministry has been shut down. You know, for the Lees, there there certainly is a sense of, oh, man, they are foreigners that are being, missionaries being kicked out. We're not there. Man, this is horrible. This is, this, what's, this is bad. But Paul, he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, my being put in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, Many people believe the guards that he was handcuffed to who did different shifts, he preached the gospel to all of them. Some of them came to faith. They told other people. And the message of the gospel spread out through the whole uh, Roman guard and Caesar's household even. And then he said, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, other people are seeing that even though I went to prison, The gospel was not shackled. It kept being spread. And as they saw what happened to me, it made them more bold in their difficult circumstances to continue preaching the gospel. And we pray that what's happening in China, that this will happen as well. That as people see that God is sovereign and his word continues to go forth, that others will be more bold in sharing the gospel. And so it's just one more case of Paul putting another blessing in there. He wants to remind them, yeah, the brothers in Caesar's household. How did they get? How did they hear the gospel? Well, it's because I was in prison. No, my ministry didn't shut down. Everything that looked so bad, hey, look what turned out of that. All of Caesar's palace and the guards, people have heard, and some of them are brothers, and they send greetings. So Paul's again saying, God is sovereign. We can trust him even when things seem so dark and it's so impossible how could anything good happen out of this paul would say hey look right here this is how it would happen
so that we can trust him and we can have his joy and peace in our life. In the midst of conflict, in our attitudes, we can be gentle. Um, we can have his peace in our life. And we can experience his pleasure by giving and receiving. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that the secret of being content is you. By drawing close to you, sharing our ups and our downs, our failures and our success, crying before you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And as we give you thanks for how you work, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you give us your supernatural peace. We thank you that you're at work in our everyday lives. Help us continue to seek you first and to, in faith, believe you are in control, you're sovereign, and you can use everything, even things where there seem to be no hope, Yet you, because you are the almighty God, can bring good out of it. And Lord, we just worship you and thank you for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen.